Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, before we get into any message or anchor verse or anything like that, I do want to say a quick couple of thank yous. Uh, the first one would be to Pastor Aaron. I just want to thank him for a moment uh, just for giving, well, for learning how to share. Um, I know just as any pastor does that it is hard to share the pulpit. Uh, and so I want to thank you, Pastor Aaron, for giving me this space to preach a whole series, which I've been uh, just thrilled about for a while. Uh, and the second person or people that I need to thank is the Ravencrest worship team. Didn't do, they do a great job today. Let's give, make some noise for the Ravencrest worship team. You guys did awesome. And, uh, and I really am thankful for them, not just because they led us in worship, but because it enabled me to not lead worship today. Um, most preachers would agree that too much stage time uh, is probably not a healthy thing for a church because then a church is built around a personality and not the person of Jesus. And so uh, I love to lead worship here, uh, but I also love to preach, but I don't like to do both uh, at the same time. And so uh, I am really grateful for the Ravencrest worship team for just coming in and filling in so that I could have the space to just rest and receive and enjoy the presence of God uh, before I came up here to, to deliver the word. So, um, so those are my thank yous, but we're going to get into a brand new series that uh, we're going to be in for the next five weeks, and we're going to be in a series called Cousin John, The Life of the Baptist. Uh, and so he's the guy that we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks, and I was, as I was considering, and, and you all know that we always have an anchor verse, uh, something that we want to pin every series upon, just one verse that kind of encapsulates the entire message of the series um, I, I settled on a verse in John chapter 3, verse 30, and it's the words of John the Baptist, and it says this, he must become greater, and I must become less. That is the anchor verse for our series uh, for Cousin John. He must become greater, and I must become less. This is the, the thrust and the passion, the legacy of John the Baptist is an increase of Jesus and a decrease of me. And my prayer is that by the end of these five weeks together, as we talk about John the Baptist and his ministry here on earth, is that this would become the cry of our hearts, that this would be the message that we preach with our lives, that there would be more of Jesus and less of me, that he must increase and I need to fade into the background so that people can see the one that can actually save, that can actually transform. And so that's our anchor verse for this series. And we're going to be in the gospel of Mark today, so uh, would you turn there with me? Mark chapter 1 is our text. But before we get into the message, let's ask for the Lord's blessing today. Father, I thank you. And, and we praise you this morning because you are not just a powerful, mighty God, but you are a kind, kind God. Lord, as that, the song we just sung says, for this I know my shepherd will defend me, and through the deepest valley you will lead me. And Lord, we thank you that you are our shepherd that you pick up the weak and place them on your shoulders and carry them, that you lead us to green pastures and to still waters. And I pray that that would be what this morning is, that it would be a time of, of refreshment by quiet streams for your people. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you would open up your word, that you would open up this text to us so that we would not just see it or hear it, but that we would experience it, that it would sink down deep into our souls and that we would be transformed by it and the power of your word. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would protect this church, that you would protect your lambs, your sheep, your people, your bride from my opinions. And Lord, that only your word would be preached, that the name of Jesus alone would be exalted and magnified in this place. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in your beautiful name that we pray together. Amen. All right, Cousin John, Mark chapter 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there if you're not there yet. Uh, I'm a big movie guy. I love watching movies, although I have this really bad habit of going on like HBO Max or Prime Video or something and just watching the same movie over and over again. I don't know if you relate to that, but uh, I really love movies, and one of the uh, tension points in in my marriage with my wife is that she has not seen many movies. Uh, And so when we were dating, and I said, hey, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? And she said, no, I almost had a heart attack. And and Star Wars was another one of those series that uh, she had never seen, and there's just so many movies uh, that she had not seen that I had seen, and and I love a good movie, and I can kind of tell if I'm going to like the movie in the first, like, 30 seconds. If I'm going to like a movie, then they need to grip me right away. And so let's, let's play a little game, and let's see if anybody knows one of the greatest movies of all time just by the way it starts out. Let's see it. <laughs> anybody? We, we know we're tracking here, right? Right, so we have this, and then it goes to black, and then we hear this beautiful orchestra hit, and the reel starts to play, and it says, A New Hope, the war in the galaxy rages on. Right, so in those first, like, 15 seconds of the movie, it just, it grips you, and it draws you in, and it builds this suspense and this tension of, like, well, what's going on in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago? What does what this civil war look like? Like, what's going... So it, it has this incredible way of drawing us into the tension of what's going on. And this is exactly what the introduction of Mark chapter 1 does. And it reads like this. Let's read the whole text, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet a long time ago. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So if, if you go back to kind of verse 2, which uh, verse 1 is just kind of like the title page, 
Uh, Verse 2 is really where uh, Mark begins to tell his story, and it starts out in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, the book of Isaiah, it was written about 700-ish years before Jesus ever came onto the scene. And for almost 400 years, uh, there was dead silence from heaven. There was no prophet. There was no new word from the Lord. God was quiet. And so, at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Mark draws us into the story by saying, hey, there's a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, this is kind of the turning point in the book of Isaiah because up to this point, it's been pretty bleak. Isaiah is a very dark book for the first 39 chapters. It's a story of Israel, the bride that God had taken for himself, rebelling walking in sin and unrepentance, worshiping false idols. And then there's talk of judgment, of captivity, of trial and difficulty through chapter 39. And then chapter 40, where this verse is quoted from, there's like a glimmer of hope. And it's this turning point in the book of Isaiah. And I want to read you the first five verses of it. It says, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Not a title, but the name of our God, Yahweh. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and he'll be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in this passage in Isaiah, uh, the, the promise, the prophecy is that God himself, our God, Yahweh, will come to his people in where? In the wilderness to bring salvation. Now, I think if you've, if you've been in church for a while, the wilderness is kind of a yucky place for God to meet his people. Like, it, it's, it's just not the place that you would imagine that a holy God comes to meet his people. Because why? Because the wilderness is, and, and we prayed about it today during our prayer time, that we prayed for those who are in the wilderness, Because the wilderness is equated with a a place of of calamity and disaster, of trial and of temptation. It is this dry, barren, ugly land. And in scripture, it is most commonly understood as the place where great testing happens. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the wilderness is much bigger than that. The wilderness is actually a place of covenant. See, if you consider with me Exodus chapter 19, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God worked salvation for his people Israel from Egypt. 
where they were slaves, worked like machines seven days a week. And God goes in and, and the 10 plagues happen, which Caleb is teaching a great class on right now. And then he ushers his people out of Egypt through a baptism through the Red Sea. And he leads them to where? To the wilderness. Now we think of the wilderness that they wandered in for 40 years, and we think of the wilderness that Jesus was tested by Satan for 40 days, but have you ever considered that it was the wilderness at Sinai where God made a covenant with his chosen people? It, it was on the mountain at Sinai where God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So the wilderness is not just a place of testing, it is a place of covenant, or dare I say, a place of marriage between God and his bride. See, the wilderness is where God comes to his people. The wilderness is where God comes to his people. And this time, just like the first time, he came to make covenant with Israel in Exodus 19. In the same way, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, God comes he approaches to make covenant with his people. The wilderness is where God meets his people. And if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the wilderness of sin and hardship and calamity is probably where God met you too. Right? It's, it's in that place of lowliness and feeling lost of being dead in your sins, that wilderness, that is where God makes covenant with us. That's where he meets you and I. It's in the wilderness. And with this quote from the Old Testament, that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, of Yahweh, and make his path straight, Mark is not just giving us the setting of his story, but he is aiming to give us that Star Wars kind of anticipation of suspense and tension, and he's trying to draw us into the story because in their spiritual silence and darkness, in their spiritual wilderness, in the waiting for the Lord after hundreds of years of silence and darkness, in the wilderness, there finally came the voice. And we see in verse 4 that John appears. Now, most of you know uh, my beautiful wife, Angelina, and our beautiful daughter, Reagan. And, um, you know, she, she turned two a month and a half ago. And when you hit birthdays and significant milestones like that, you begin to think about like where you came from. Like how did this journey start? How did we get here? Because it feels like yesterday she was like, she fit right here. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like she fit right here. And now she's two. And she's running around and she can talk, man. She got the gift of gab. And I'm, you know, so it's her birthday and I'm just thinking, back through our memories. You know, I'm thinking about the time that, you know, she, she laughed for the first time, like really like belly laughed. She was five months old and it was at our dogs. And I remember the first, one of the first times she stood up on her own, it was Christmas day last year and she face planted. And then she didn't try to walk again for like two months. She was horrified of it. 
But I was beginning to think about, like, where did we get here? And I, I, I think back to day one. Now, Angelina, she had some medical stuff go on uh, that caused her to need uh, to induce labor. And so the way you do that, you take some medicine, they induce labor. Uh, and that's supposed to uh, almost manufacture contractions. It's to force your body to start having contractions so that the baby can come. Uh, and so, you know, she takes the medicine, and it's like, it just feels like we're waiting forever, right? It's like we're just waiting and waiting, and nothing's happening, and, you know, we're in this hospital room, we're not home, we miss our dogs, and it's like, when is this thing going to happen? And, you know, Angelina, she's hooked up to all these wires, and you got this screen up here to, to track the contractions, and you can actually see when they spike, and it's just like a flat line for a long time, long time, and then it spiked. And it was like, was that a contraction? And we got, you know, I got so excited about that because it meant the beginning of the birth. It, it meant that our daughter was almost here. This was the, the beginning of the labor pains, and we would soon meet our daughter. And so as we read through this passage and we introduce ourselves to the life of John the Baptist, this is the way that I want you to see John. He is the contractions. Think of his appearance like contractions. The voice is crying, which means that the Lord was on his way, that Yahweh was approaching. Like we, John has appeared like a Pokemon, and we are introduced to the voice in the wilderness, the, the contraction that would ultimately lead to the coming of the Messiah after all these hundreds of years of waiting for God to come back, to rescue his people the voice begins to cry. And so today is really our, our, he's our, this is our introduction to John the Baptist. And so we have to ask the question is, who was this guy? Well, just some interesting things about him is, uh, like Jesus, he had a miraculous birth. Not in the same way, uh, but he had uh, uh, elderly parents who they had never had a child. And an angel shows up to his dad, Zechariah, and announces, uh, your wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son, and he will be the forerunner for the Messiah. He was foretold by an angel. He was prophesied over by his priestly father at his birth that he would be the forerunner. He was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. He came in the spirit of Elijah the prophet, which uh, we see that he wore the same clothes as Elijah the prophet as a sign of that. And he was the cousin of Jesus. And in fact, he did a little dance when he was in the presence of uh, Jesus as they were both still in the womb. And Elizabeth and Mary, their cousins, and so Mary had just been announced that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. And so she goes to Elizabeth and to share the news. And as soon as they're in the same room together, John does a little jig. Excited, overjoyed as a fetus in the womb that he was in the presence of the Messiah. Now, not only was he the cousin of Jesus, but his ministry and Jesus's ministry, they kind of did a tango together. They, they really danced with one another throughout the story of scripture. See, John is the one that prepares the way for Jesus's ministry to take place. That's what the passage in Isaiah says. John is the one who baptizes Jesus to begin his ministry. And then Jesus's ministry really takes off when John is finally arrested and really fades into the shadows of scripture. And in fact, one of the most interesting things that I found is, you know, who, who is the gospel about? Of the, the four gospels, who are they about? 
It's a Sunday school answer. You can all get it. Jesus, thank you. But in three out of the four Gospels, we meet John before we ever meet Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So John is this really significant character that we honestly don't know a whole lot about, but here's what we do know, is he was a absolute wild man, and that's why I like him so much, and you know, if I didn't get my hair cut a couple weeks ago, I probably would have looked a little bit like him. John was a wild man. He was like this desert hermit, and he ate bugs and honey, uh, and, and he was what we would call a very unpopular kind of preacher. He would, is what we would call a fire and brimstone preacher. That's who he was. That was his message. It, it was repent and turn to the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of God is nigh. Repent because uh, God comes with his winnowing fork and he is going to separate the wheat from the chaff and the wheat, wheat he will gather, but the chaff he will throw into unquenchable fire. It's a difficult message. And I imagine that our attendance might drop if Aaron showed up one day wearing camel's hair and eating bugs and telling people to turn or burn. But this was John the Baptist. He preached a hard message. He was a wild dude. He preached that the kingdom of heaven was near. God was coming to gather his people. Yahweh approaches, so repent and be baptized. Turn back to the Lord. But I want you to notice something about Mark's description of John the Baptist. Is Mark doesn't call him by a title like all of the other gospels do. Mark doesn't call him John the prophet. He doesn't call him John the cousin of Jesus. He doesn't call him John the miracle baby. And he doesn't even call him by his normal title of John the Baptist. So what the heck, Mark? Why, why don't you give this guy a title so we know which John you're talking about? He just calls him John. John appears. And then he describes where he was, which was the wilderness, what he said, which was repent, and what he did, which was he baptized those who repented. But I think Mark's point behind this, behind not giving Mark really an identity or a title, is because he wants to attach the name of John to the voice. John is the voice. And that's how Mark wants us to identify John the Baptist. Is he's not the Baptist. He's not the cousin of Jesus. He's not a miracle baby. He's not a prophet. I want you to understand that he is the voice which means the footsteps of Yahweh are not so far behind. Yahweh comes. He's coming to the wilderness. See, what we see in these verses, verses 4 through 6, is that uh, John had a purpose, and it was to prepare the people for God's arrival. John's purpose was to prepare the people for God's arrival. Arrival. So John is, his, his base identity, and what we need to understand about him today is that he is the forerunner. He is the voice in the wilderness. He is a friend of the bridegroom. This is his identity. This is who Mark wants us to understand him as. And I want you to notice in the book of Isaiah, the, the prophecy that he quotes, he says, a voice cries, John cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So I think it's a, a little unusual that he's wearing uh, camel's hair and a leather belt and not a construction hat, because he's supposed to be building a highway, isn't he? But what he did really is he prepared highways 
in the hearts of the people of Israel. That was his job. It wasn't to build a road for the Messiah to walk on literally. It, it was to prepare highways in the hearts of the people of Israel to turn back to God and be ready to receive their king. But I think one thing that's important that we notice is how he did this. How did John prepare highways in the hearts of the people of Israel? Well, it was with his message of fire and brimstone. He would be a very unpopular preacher today, but that's how he did it. He prepared them by his message of sin and repentance that God was coming to both save and to judge. And, and I want to put this forward to you today because I think this is one of the things that Christians most struggle with is when we share the gospel, many people are, are very, very scared to share a complete gospel. When we share our faith with our neighbors and our friends and our family members, so often we rely on our personal experience. Well, I was in this really dark place and then I met Jesus and he made things better. That's an incomplete gospel message. It's not the gospel. That, that's, that's genie in the bottle gospel. That if you come to Jesus, he's going to fix things. He's going to make life good. But as Aaron said last week, we don't worship God because he makes our lives good. We praise him because he is good. But any gospel message that is void of talk of sin and repentance is an incomplete gospel message. Because how could you ever receive salvation from sin if you don't know that sin gets you into a whole lot of trouble? That you need salvation from sin and you need to repent and turn back to God. If that isn't the message, then what the heck are we preaching? What is the message if it is not this message? That if we turn to God, he will forgive us and so any gospel message, any gospel presentation that is void of talk of sin and repentance is incomplete. It's not the full gospel message, and no one can be saved from that because they're trusting in Jesus to help them or to give them a better life, not to save them from their sin, and that is the gospel. To prepare the way, to build highways in the human heart is to have hard conversations with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers about sin and repentance of heaven and of hell. And John the Baptist understood this. That's why this is his message. It's because this preaching of sin and repentance, it prepared the way for the Savior to come and forgive. And that's why it's so important to keep salvation from sin at the center of our gospel because it is the center of the gospel. There is no other gospel, church. And that was his message to the people. And, and what we see is, you know, in our day and age, that would probably get people running out of church. But if you read the text in verse, verse 6, I believe, no, verse 5, it says, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him in the desert. So first of all, he's got a terrible church location. It's not good. And secondly, he doesn't have a very appetizing message. It's not one that people 
really want to hear very often. But what it seems like here is that he's kind of starting this national revival of people turning back to God. So he was definitely like this influential person. The people considered him to be a, a prophet. And the problem that we have so often is that when somebody has some sway and some clout, when, when a person has a, a Authority, and they have this way of speaking that just draws people in, and they have this huge platform, is we begin to falsely think that they are the answer to our problems. We do this in church. We put way too much stock into our pastors, way too much stock into our favorite Christian podcaster. We put way too much stock in hoping that these people are going to help us transform and change. And John experienced this problem to a T. See, here's, here's our problem. Is we expect people, just regular people, to do far more for us than they actually can. And this, this is what happens to John. He, he's in the wilderness, just as the Messiah would be. He's baptizing and calling people to repent and, and to receive forgiveness from God as the Messiah would. John is a prophet as the Messiah would be. And so people began to wonder, and you can read this in Luke chapter 4, is this Elijah or is, is, maybe, is he the guy? Is, he the, is this Yahweh? Like, did we miss the guy? Did we miss the forerunner? And this is the guy? Is he it? He's so influential. He has such a, a, a grand way of speaking and drawing us into the, the, the plan of God. And John's message to them in verses 7 and 8 is essentially this. If you think I'm a big deal, you ain't seen nothing yet. This, this is John's message. If you think I'm doing something of value, if you think I'm worthy. If you think I'm strong in faith and my message can change you, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think I'm mighty in faith and spirit? What does he say? After me comes he who is mightier than I. You think I'm strong? You think my faith is strong, that my message is powerful? You ain't seen nothing yet. You think I am worthy? After me comes he, and I'm not even worthy of bending down to untie the strap of his sandal. And in Israel, and, and the, most of the ancient world, the feet were the dirtiest part of the body. They were gross. They were disgusting. They wore sandals all the time. Your feet went everywhere. They had every germ and nasty thing on them. And so in ancient Israel, uh, there was slavery, not in the same sense that we think of it, uh, in those days, if you borrowed money, uh, you couldn't just go to the bank and take out a loan to pay the person back. And so if you had a debt that had to be paid, but you could not pay it, you would work for them as a slave. And even I Israelites would have Israelite slaves. So the, their neighbor comes to them and asks them for some money to borrow to finish building their house, and then they're not able to pay it back. They worked off their debt. And there was a law in ancient Israel that said, if you are an Israelite slave with an Israelite master, this job of untying your master's sandal is beneath you. You're forbidden from doing it. So this job was something that even Israelite slaves weren't even allowed to do legally. To untie your master's sandal was the job for the lowest 
slave on the totem pole, the most insignificant person in your household that served you. And what does John say? He says, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave in his household. You think I'm worthy? And then he says what I think is probably one of the most significant things is you think my baptism is significant? You think my baptism can do anything for you? You know, essentially what he's saying is, listen, I'm going to call you to repentance, but this is just an outward symbol of an interchange. You're saying you want to repent? Okay, we're going to baptize you, but the reality is, is that all I can do is give you a bath and send you on your way. It's all I can do. So look at, look at me, church. Pastor Aaron and I, any pastor you ever follow, your favorite podcaster, your favorite preacher on YouTube can do nothing for your soul to transform it. It is solely the work of God that can transform your life. Pastor and Aaron and I, we, we can give you the word and we will. We can encourage you and edify you and pray for you. And as you ask for wisdom, we can give that to you. But true transformation belongs to God alone. And so what John is saying here is, hey, you're coming to me for this baptism of repentance, but all it is is a bath. You're just getting wet and I'm sending you on your way. But this guy who comes after me, he will baptize you in the spirit. He will transform you from the inside whereas all I can do is give you a bath. See, this is what John is preparing the way for. This, this is why John existed. It's why his ministry existed. It's why he was born. It was so that the souls of the people of Israel could be baptized by the Spirit and be transformed from the inside out. This is the entire point. John would be a fool to lead people to himself. To tell people, yeah, I can help you transform from the inside out. Because people can only do so much. But our God can do immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or even think. See, John made much of the coming Messiah and not himself. He made much of Jesus. And that is because Jesus can actually work in great power. John could give a persuasive message. I bet he was a great preacher. He could give you a persuasive message. But he couldn't change your heart. The reason John makes much of Jesus is because Jesus is ultimately supremely worthy and beautiful. Because Jesus is the one that can baptize your soul to give you a flesh, a, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, to pour his spirit upon his people. Only God is able to do that. John's entire life, his entire purpose from the time of his conception, and I would even use the word destiny. John's destiny was to make much of Jesus, to point to him as the one that could do immeasurably more for the people.
You know, so the, the entire purpose, what it boils down to, the entire purpose and the thrust of John's life, his, his life's very message was, I'm not the guy. It's not me. I, I can do nothing for you except call you to repentance and to receive forgiveness and to give you a bath and send you on your way. Only God can do the miraculous. His entire message is, I'm not the guy. After he, after me comes he. Everything about John's life is ultimately about Jesus. And oh, that, 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 that this would be the message of our lives, church. That it would be about Jesus. That our lives would be glaring neon signs pointing people to the cross. That I can't help you. I can't save you. I can't baptize you in the spirit, but I know the one that can. And after me comes he. That this would be the cry of our hearts, church, that the king is coming. That the, the Messiah is here to forgive and to draw to himself his people. See, remember the wilderness where John is, is preaching and proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, that after he comes me, it's not just a place of calamity, but a place of covenant, of marriage, of relationship. And John the Baptist had this sovereign destiny upon his life, a destiny to prepare the people of Israel for the wedding in the wilderness that was about to take place. A destiny to proclaim the new covenant about to unfold between Yahweh and the people that he calls to himself. A destiny to make it known that the bridegroom approaches to receive the one that he loves. And guess what? I've got good news for you today. You're invited to the ceremony. You are invited to be a part of the new covenant in Christ's blood, to submit to an all-powerful, omnipotent king, to serve the one who is supremely worthy of praise and to be radically transformed from the inside out. Church, there is a wedding in the wilderness and everyone is invited. Everyone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your, the beauty of your word. Lord, that you give these incredible promises and you don't make us rely on human saviors that could never actually save. But Lord, you have given us your son, Jesus. And you have invited us to the wedding. You have invited us to be yours. So, Lord, I pray this morning that those who don't know you, that they would accept that invitation to the wedding, that they would accept an invitation into covenant relationship with you that can transform them from the inside out and not just modify their behavior. And I pray for those that do belong to you in this room right now that our lives would become a little bit more like John's 
that we would be unashamed of the gospel message, that, that people must repent and turn from their sin and turn towards God, and he will show mercy and grace and forgiveness of their sin. Lord, that we would be about Jesus, that our lives would be signal fires of your grace, that the people in our lives, our neighbors and our friends, our family members, the people that we meet at the coffee shops downtown or on the street, that they would know that Jesus saves, that the Messiah has come, and he has come with grace and forgiveness. Lord, make us more like John. Give us his motto, less of us and more of you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. There were followers of Jesus, not just observers. The people went to the wilderness. Uh, they were drawn there to find that covenant with God. And John pointed them to Jesus, and Jesus beckoned, and he said, follow me, and that's where change comes from. And that's why uh, we get to this point. We don't want to just hear the word. We want to be able to take action in it, be able to put our faith into motion. And so I encourage you this morning, after you've heard this great message, being confronted by the word and having it exposed places in our heart and our lives, and so now to put that into action, take some next steps. And we place some of those on the, on the connection card for you, because I want to support you as your pastor. As you take these, I'm going to be praying for you and encouraging you and, and make sure we take those. So if you take the connection card out, on the back side, there's four things, uh, four different steps that we're going to challenge you to take, at least one, maybe there's something different. But the first thing that uh, if you see on there that we would ask you to do is to memorize John 3.30. Uh, it's an anchor verse for really the summarizing the, the message of John the Baptist's life, his ministry, but also so important for us to continue to follow that he must become greater and increase, and I must become less. That That's the, the craziest thing, how Jesus begs us to come and live by first we have to die to ourselves. That uh, as we grow in him to find greatness and the glory that he brings us is when we become less and less. And to be able to take that step, uh, it's, it's hard. So what we need to do is put the God's word into our heart. Let it be a filter for our mind. Let the Holy Spirit work through it as he transforms us. And that's why we encourage you not just to, to have this as an anchor verse to think about once in a while, but to memorize it, to meditate on it, which just means really, really deeply think about how does this apply in your life. So I encourage you, that one of your next steps is to take this, and we even perforate it, put on a on the carpet, you could take that off like I've already done mine, put it in your pocket. And each day, go back to it, pray about it, let it uh, begin to change you. I think you'll be surprised at how many times the Word of God comes and transforms us. Second next step that you might want to do is we got to be into God's Word. It's the Word of life. It is the Word of God. It is not unlike anything else. And it's hard to understand John the, the Baptist's life and message if we don't understand the prophets who a long time ago, so far away, began to prophesy about this Messiah and what he would do. And so this week, we invite you to go back into Isaiah chapter 40. And it's good news. Could you use some good news? That God did not come just to bring us a message of fire and brimstone, but also of life and peace and joy. That he came to, to lift us up on wings like eagles. And it happens when we, we find life in him. And I want you to read that for yourself. To, to see what the Messiah came to do, what he was prophesied to do. So maybe this week, you commit to, I'm going to be getting into the word Isaiah 40. I think you'll find it pretty darn powerful. The third thing we're going to challenge you to do is prepare the way. This is what John did, right? He 
didn't prepare the way for himself. He prepared the way for Christ, right? And I think that begins with, first, we got to prepare our own heart. And it's just as uh, we, again, just look at the, the gospel of, of that it does begin with being real about the fact that we do have sin. In fact, what uh, we had before communion, it, uh, that if anyone claims to be without sin, <laughs> we're lying to ourselves. And the reality is that God's not surprised by that. To prepare the way of our hearts, to let the light of Christ to come in there and to ask God His Holy Spirit this week to reveal where is in it in my heart, in my life, where I'm at different places, where I'm not following after Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm living in sin. Let God uh, reveal that to you because He's not surprised by it. But it's only when we can recognize it that we can confess it and repent and turn to him. And it says that whoever confesses their sins, he is faithful and just. He's always going to do it. Forgive your sins and then transform you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if maybe you're in the wilderness right now, maybe you're in that difficult time, but I would say this, allow God to prepare the way. Allow yourself to, to open the door to the Holy Spirit. Say, God, this week I'm committed to this. I'm going to be asking you to, to reveal unto my own heart, my own life, where's my sin? And the other thing, too, is those opportunities that we have as we talk to our friends and neighbors because they need to be set free as well. And isn't it wonderful that God doesn't leave us in the wilderness? He doesn't leave us in death. And maybe they need to hear the good news that they, too, can be forgiven because everybody knows that we fall short. Last thing you might want to do is you commit this week to earnestly seek Jesus, not just kind of, but make that your commitment point. Just like the, the crowds who came to see John, uh, they, they got a different kind of message than they were thinking. And John said, listen, there's a whole different way. There was one that you need to follow and earnestly seek him. But not just to, when it's convenient, but to follow after him. Let him become more in your life so you can become less. Maybe that's what you're committing to this week. To say, this is the point. I'm not going down that path of death any longer. I'm not walking away from God any longer. Earnestly, that, you're not going to be perfect. Earnestly seek him doesn't mean perfectly seek him earnestly seek his kingdom his righteousness above all else maybe this today is that moment you make that commitment and if you're going to make that commitment let me know because it's going to be a, a it's not easy uh, picking up your cross and following jesus daily is not an easy thing which is why you have pastors and people around you to encourage you let me pray for you so let me know if there's a different commitment holy spirit speaking in your heart telling you to make let me know that it's hard to shepherd my people if they're just wandering off all different directions i don't know where god's sending you so let me know so i can support you if you've got a prayer request take your moment right now and write that down because you will be prayed for and god does amazing things in just a moment i'm going to pray and then i'm going to have the, the ushers going to come down they're going to collect these connection cards ask everyone put one in there put your tithes and offerings in there as well make this your first offering of yourself your repentance to god this week let me pray for it as we uh, consider our commitments. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful message. We thank you for your word that, that uh, reminds us that we can come back to you, that, that we have good news, that we can comfort your people, that you did not abandon us. You didn't just leave us in the wilderness, but you met us there for a purpose. So, Father, if we've got to go there, let us meet with you. Let us covenant with you. Let us follow you out of it. Lord, take these commitments, these, these, uh, these next steps that we're going to take. Father, help us to draw us closer to you. And I'm so grateful for your word that says if we come near you, you come near us. So, Father, I made this not just be an act of, of, of religious obedience, but, Father, an appeal from our heart to yours that says we want to know you. Uh, Father, I pray, too, Lord, uh, that you'd also take our, our, our tithes and our offerings and you would build your kingdom through them for your glory. 
pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior.